Good morning. Is that too loud for you? No, good. Well, I am delighted to be here at Thompson. I thank the Lord for Thompson. And uh, as you know, when I'm not out preaching somewhere, Barbara and I slip in here and so that we can worship with you. And it's especially good that we can be with you this morning. Now, that bottle is going to slide. So here's what I'm going to do. A quick sip, and I'll set it on the chair. That way it doesn't mess up the pretty furniture. And now here we go. Good. Let's begin with prayer. Almighty God, our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the privilege of coming together this morning. And we come acknowledging initially that we are not worthy to be here except by your grace, for we are sinners. We have sinned both by doing and by failing to do. And so we ask that you would be with us and that you would speak to our hearts that we might do better, and also that you would comfort us, assuring us that by your grace our sins are forgiven through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we come to adore you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We adore you and thank you for who you are, that you are our God, that you are the creator of the ends of the earth, and that there is nobody who is like you, that you're merciful and gracious and good and kind in every way towards us. And we would not have so much as a breath to breathe were it not for the fact of your grace. We ask, O God, our Father, that you would speak to our hearts on this Lord's day and that you would make us glad to be in your presence, that you would teach us of your presence by your Holy Spirit's presence with us. We thank you for the grace that has brought us through another week. We thank you for your provision steadily and constantly of all the good things we enjoy. We thank you that in spite of all that goes on around us in our nation and in other nations, we are here and we are well. And we pray, O oh God, that our health may continue. And we ask you that you would come against this COVID-19 virus that holds back your work, not only here in America, but in other countries of the world as well, where your people are not able to worship freely. We pray, O oh God, uh, that you would be especially present with those whose names we've heard already in this service who have particular need of prayer. Were there a sickness, would you bring strength, encouragement, and healing? Uh, where there is depression, that you would bring encouragement and grace and peace. We ask, O oh God, our Father, that where there are troubles of other kind, that you would enter as the healing balm of Gilead to bring comfort and strength and encouragement for a new day of opportunity. We pray, our Father, uh, for this congregation, but we pray also for your people wherever they gather on this Lord's day. And we pray that your Holy Spirit be at work there to accomplish all that you would desire to happen, both here and there, for the glory and the praise of our Redeemer, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, for the church around the world. We pray for our country. And we ask, O oh God, that you would come against those forces in this era <clears throat> that, are, that seem set on bringing about wrath and destruction, and that you would bring peace and grace and presence through your Holy Spirit in this time. That indeed you would even use this COVID crisis to bring revival in our country. We pray for the people of our country, especially as they make ready for the upcoming election, uh, that you would give wisdom and guidance and direction, and that you would steer the people 
and that the one who is elected would indeed be the one who would best serve you and advance your cause in the church. Heavenly Father, we ask you in Jesus' name to come now and be present with us and to speak to us through your word in spite of the shortcomings of the one who comes to deliver the message. You know him very well, and you know that he has no right to stand here except that right that is given to him by grace through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, O oh God, speak above him, speak in such a way that Christ, Christ alone, would receive all the honor and the glory and the praise. For we make our prayer for his name's sake, and we thank you, Lord. Amen. This is a fascinating day in the history of the church, and in some ways, in the history of the world. Does anybody know what date it is? It says it's August the 2nd on the schedule, but uh, does anybody really know what date it is? July the 26th, you're right. Does anybody know what happened in history that has an impact on us on July the 26th? You have to think past America. You have to think across an ocean. Because it was on July the 26th, 1603, that King James VI of Scotland became King James I of England. And it was at the beginning of his reign as James I of England that he ordered that the Scriptures be translated into a modern translation that all the people could read. And the result was the King James Version of the Bible. Now, if you're like me, if you're as old as I am especially, you grew up and all you really knew was the King James Version of the Bible. Uh, and since then, uh, there, there have been all kinds of attempts to, uh, to retranslate the Scriptures uh, into another, uh, how do I put it, not another language, but in another uh, tenor that is more compatible with the language of the age. And so now we have the NIV and the NAV and the ESV and uh, the NAV. The, we have the NIV and the NAV and the NASB and all those, those various generous uh, translations of Scripture. And I don't know which one you have, but I, I grew up as a youngster in a Presbyterian church, and I, I was forced, thank God, to memorize some passages of Scripture. And so, uh, when I speak and cite Scripture from memory, uh, I frequently find myself slipping into King James English. And out of honor for this day, I'm going to invite you not only to think in King James English, I'm going to invite you, if you have it done in your head this way, to recite with me the first Scripture reading of the morning, and that is Psalm 23. Everybody knows Psalm 23. You may not have it memorized, but we've all been exposed to it somewhere. It's, it's perhaps the best-known chapter in all of the Scripture. And so let's pray together before we recite that, and then I'm going to come over into the ESV, the latest English Standard Version, to read the New Testament reading. But Psalm 23, let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we thank you for those who have given of themselves in order that we might have in our own language, even in our own colloquialisms at time, the Scriptures inspired by the Holy Spirit, preserved for our benefit by Him, that we might know more of you and of how you would speak to us and have us live. 
So grant, O God, this morning that the Scriptures would truly be exposed before the people in the sermon of this day for Jesus. So if you can say it with me, say it. And if you can't, look it up in your Bible and read whatever translation you have before you, and it's going to be very close to what we say. Here's what it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I have to confess to you that I got a little advance on you because yesterday morning I had to preside at a funeral for a gentleman who was in his 90s, part of the greatest generation, and he'd passed away. And I used this scripture at the graveside and asked the people at the graveside, there were not many because of the COVID crisis, if they would like to cite it with me. And you did a better job than they did, actually, in citing it. But then some of them weren't smart enough to take out their, their smartphones and read it the way that some of you were. But anyway, you thought you were getting away with that, Susan, didn't you? Anyway, I pointed out to those people that we use this psalm so often in funeral services or memorial services or at gravesides. And yet we often don't realize just how totally appropriate it is for that moment. Because look at it with me for a minute, if you will, and you discover that in the first three verses, David the psalmist, the psalmist who had been a shepherd, speaks of the Lord as his shepherd. But when he speaks of him, he speaks of him always in the third sense, the third person. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me to lie down. He leadeth me by the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. But suddenly there's a transition right slap dab in the middle of the psalm. And the next three verses, verses four and five and six, the tense is different. He's no longer thinking about God as the third person, the person spoken about who may be out there somewhere. But suddenly it's very intimate because now he's thinking about death. And he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And he doesn't say, Because he is with me. No, because thou art with me. You are with me. And what he's saying to us is that it is when we walk through that valley of the shadow that we in our ignorance call death, that we find God is there with us. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit this morning, so I won't belabor it for now. And then you notice, of course, from then on, the second person is the term of the, thou art with me, or you are with me. You, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. And so David transitioned right in the middle of the psalm. And a lot of people memorize the psalm or know the psalm, and they don't catch that very important transition. Now, as they'd say down in New Orleans, that's all lanyap. That's not what I came to preach about. 
That's free, okay? But now let's turn to another passage that perhaps you know well. It's Hebrews chapter 13, and I, I want to look at verses 1 through 8. And if you've spoken with Hank this week, he told you this was going to be the Scripture reading for Sunday. Is it on the screen? I, I can't see. It's not good. Well, I, I confess to you that uh, when I gave Hank the Scripture readings, I realized later when I read the email that I had forgotten to include the Old Testament reading. So, I don't have to apologize because you don't. Anyway, so here we go. Hebrews chapter 13 and verses 1 through 8. Listen very carefully. This is the English Standard Version of God's Word. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for some thereby have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God and consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. May God, who by the power of His Holy Spirit has inspired the writing of these words and preserved them for our benefit by the same Spirit's power, also this day inspire our hearts, and to Him alone, through Jesus Christ, may there be honor and praise and glory. The title of my message this morning is Above All COVID Consternation. Above All COVID Consternation. And I want to begin by inviting you to come with me to the most emphatic verse in all of the Scripture. How emphatic is it? How determined is it that God would get this message across to us? Well, he, as the creator of the universe, constantly comes back to this theme again and again and again, in such a way, in fact, that it takes a total of five nevers. It's a big word, isn't it? Never. It takes five nevers to properly translate the power of this Greek text. God has said, I will never leave you never will I forsake you. And so there are three things that I want to say about uh, this never let you go love of God that gives us the ability to live out our lives above all COVID consternation. The first word that I would give you, and I would think if you hold on to these three words, it will help you to remember the essence of this morning's message. The first word is the word source. Source. He has said. When you look at Scripture, as I just said, in the Bible, you find, interestingly enough, uh, that God uses this phrase with the five nevers five times. Five times. For example, in the beginning, at Genesis chapter 28 and verse 15, He says to Jacob, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will never leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Genesis 28, 15, to, to Moses, 
he gives a message for all Israel. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God goes with you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. In Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 6. And then to Joshua, he says in Joshua 1 and verse 5, No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then there's that moment when David is about to die, and he is, he is getting ready to, to pass over the kingdom uh, to his son Solomon. And he says in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 20, Be strong and courageous and do the work, and do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God, my God, is with you, and he will never fail you nor forsake you. First Chronicles 28 and verse 20. And then through Isaiah, the poor and needy search for water, and their tongues are parched with thirst. But I, the God of Israel, will never forsake them. There's the source. There's the source. It is God Himself coming again and again and again and again and again, five times, giving this message to His people. Now, somebody says, well, you know, that's all great, but everything you just cited for us is, is from the Old Testament, and that's, that's fine for them, but, but what about us? Uh, we don't live in that world. Uh, we, we don't live in Old Testament times. You want to bet? You want to bet? We do live in Old Testament times because every word in the Old Testament has reference for the life that we live today. When God says, you shall not steal and you shall not commit adultery, He doesn't say, until the New Testament time. He doesn't say, until the time of the organized church. No. Everything that God says in the Old Testament has reference for this time. And so, I want you to think about that with me this morning in terms of this current COVID-19 crisis through which we are all living. We ask ourselves some questions. If you're like me, I, I find myself, I, I no longer watch the nightly news, and I, I no longer listen to the news and the radio in my car. If I'm listening to something in the car, in the car and, and they break away from the news, I either flip to another station or I just turn it off because I am tired as I suspect other people are too, of hearing about the coronavirus. It is such a depressing thing. And I asked myself, when will this COVID-19 nuisance be over for us? I mean, when will we ever again be able to, to shake bare hands or, or hug one another? I, I stood by that graveside yesterday morning, and after the service was over, after I'd greeted the family, there were people that I knew there, and I hadn't seen some of them in a few years. And a couple of them came towards me, and they, they put their arms out as though to embrace me. And then they backed up, and they said, oh, maybe better not do that. Well, a couple of them were guys who looked kind of like me. I wasn't that anxious about that. But a couple of them were actually nice-looking ladies. And I would have been very happy to have them hug me. But then they, they backed away, you see. Uh, so you ask yourself, well, when are we going to be able to do that again? Uh, 
with, with no offense to you, I, I, I walk around all the time and I have one of these things in my pocket, right? And so when I go in the store, I have to put it on. And I walk around the store and I think, I wonder who is here that I've passed and I don't recognize them and, and they don't recognize me, right? And uh, I actually went into the pharmacy not long ago. I have to tell this because I, I needed to rush home and tell Barbara this because it hasn't happened in quite a long time. And the young woman who works in the pharmacy, a uh, very nice young woman, when I walked up to the pharmacy, she said, well, hi, Dr. Holmes. And I had this thing on and I had on a cap. And I said, how do you know it's me? And she said, oh, you have the prettiest eye. Don't laugh. I'm living on that these days. I, I, am, I can't wait until my medicine runs out so I can put on my mask and pull on my cap and walk into the pharmacy again. Uh, and she'll call my name and I'll say, how do you know it's me? And maybe, just maybe, she'll say what she said the first. But when, when are we ever going to see the bottom of everybody's face again? And, and you know, I, I have just finished being the moderator of the ARP Church. And as the moderator, uh, one of the blessings you get is that uh, you get to go and visit some of the mission. And so here I was planning uh, my missionary trip, and I, I was going to fly into Germany and then pick up a flight to go into Iran and then into Turkey and then come back to an ARP mission in Leith in Scotland and then another one near Cardiff in Wales. And the airline said, no, you're not because we don't fly those routes. So when am I going to be able to look up in the sky as I drive towards Atlanta and see all those jets crissing and crossing sky once again? Uh, we, we ask that question. We say, so it's fine, there's a lot of Old Testament, but what about right now? Where is God in this COVID-19 crisis? And I would remind you one more time that whatever God says one time in the Scripture, He promises to all of us forevermore. What He said once stands for all time. And Scripture reminds us of this, but never more plainly than with Isaiah. In, in Isaiah chapter 40 at verse 8, where He says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Did you hear that? The Word of our God stand forever. That Old Testament Scripture, that Word that some of us think has no relationship to where we're living today, has every bit as much relationship to where we are today as the words of Jesus in the New Testament. God puts His credibility on the line in every word of Scripture. He has said, God has said. What has He said? Well, that's the second word. He's the source. Now I want to talk about the security because He is also the security. Because look at what it says. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And when by faith we grab the power of those words, uh, they will change us. I, I don't exaggerate when I say they will change the whole way that we think. They will change our personalities. They will change our expectations. They will change our attitudes. They will change everything about our perspective on the world. Because when we get that, then 
we embark on a great adventure with God. And he gives us the all-conquering weapon. His word never goes away. It is the ultimate security system. Uh, one of the things we've been looking at recently for our house is, is a new security system. You know, they've got these doorbells now. When you push the button, you get a camera picture. And, and I pulled up at our daughter's home in Kennesaw several months ago. Uh, I didn't know whether they were there or not. It was supposed to be a surprise visit. And I, I pushed the button, thought they got a new doorbell. And in a minute, my phone rang. And it was our daughter and our granddaughters and our daughter's husband. And they said, we're not home right now. We're over at somebody's barbecue joint having barbecue. Said, well, how do you know that I'm here? And they said, because <clears throat> our new doorbell has a camera in it. And it tells us wherever we are by means of our cell phone, smartphone, who's at the door. So we know it's you. And if you want to come join us for barbecue, you're welcome to do that. It's only about a 10 minute drive. Well, it was a surprise trip. I, interestingly enough, I was coming back from another funeral in Fayetteville, Tennessee, and they weren't expecting me. And we've been saying, we need a security system so that wherever we are, when somebody comes to the front door, we can see who it is. Well, here is the ultimate security system. He has said, I will never leave you. The psalmist says it best. Some trust in chariots and some in great hor horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. He has given us security. Now think about this. Take this on board if you will. What it's really saying to us is nobody can ever harm us. We can harm ourselves, but nobody else, nothing else, has the power to really hurt us. No, not even the COVID-19 virus. And here's what I'm really saying. We are by nature fickle. Uh, we, we are fragile. You are, I am, we all are. As youngsters, we all had to grow through certain fears, trepidation. Certain things frightened us. Some of us as adults are frightened by something. I, I will confess to you, I am frightened by frog. Now, why am I frightened by frog? I know why. I'm a psychology major. I've worked this out in my head, but I haven't worked it through in my, my mind completely. When I was a youngster, we had a bully who lived in the neighborhood. And one day he took a big old toad frog and he stuck it in the pocket of my pants. And I remember that like it was yesterday. And I could feel that thing moving around in there. And I was so scared, I didn't know how to get it out of there. I didn't know what to do. And somebody else had to take it out of my pocket. And to this day, when I see a frog, I think, you just go ahead and do what you're going to do and pay me no heed because I'm going to try to not pay any heed to you. It's a childish fear. I really should get over. You'd think by now I would get over that. But we all have these fears, and I really need to conquer that one. But just we are fragile, we are fickle, and maybe God kept that little fear in me against frogs that really can't hurt you. Oh, we used to tell stories about what would happen if a frog went to the bathroom in your pocket, and that's what I guess I was afraid of. Uh, he didn't, as far as I know. Uh, but I, I guess my mind flashes back to that for a moment. I need to work my way through that. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. Against all of these fears, Yes, even frogs. Even against the COVID-19 virus, uh, uh, we have a firm foundation uh, that uh, we can only possibly have by God through Jesus Christ in His. Because He says, not a sparrow falls to the ground, but that He does the mental arithmetic on. He says, even the hairs on your head 
are numbered. I, I thought about that this morning as I was combing my hair. Some hair came out on the hairbrush. And I thought, God's doing arithmetic. I wish He wouldn't do it so often with me. You see, but He says the hairs on your head are counted. He knows all about that. And, and that's part of the meticulous sovereignty of God. Now, you know, you and I, we are limited. We are limited. Uh, we, we, we can't really be thinking about a whole lot of different things at once. Or if we are, they send us a certain doctor to straighten us out. But God can think about all these things at one time. So that I can just imagine in the morning when, when all the guys are getting ready to go to work that God's just doing all kinds of calculations about how many hairs each one has left. But that's part of His meticulous sovereignty. And that's what that verse is really there about. And here's how it works out right now. Not one virus is released in this world, but that God doesn't know about it. Because you see, He is sovereign. He is gracious. He is meticulous. Nothing escapes Him. Nothing surprises Him. Nothing catches Him off guard. Nothing baffles Him. Nothing alarms Him. He's got it all. He's got it all. And He has a purpose in it all. He has a purpose in the coronavirus. I, I think I know part of that. I don't pretend to know it all at all. Uh, but I, I think that part of it is that he is showing us, uh, sometimes very painfully for some of us, uh, that he has it under his control and that nothing alarms him. And uh, he, he is showing us that nothing in this world can bring down his securities. Nothing in this world can take away the hope that we find in him. So you think about all kinds of bad emotions, loneliness, there's helplessness, there's friendlessness, uh, there, there's hopelessness, there's bitterness, whatever else you want to put on there by way uh, of a negative emotion. And it makes no difference because God through Jesus Christ says, even then, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And David says it best, doesn't he? In that great psalm that I called everybody's. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here's the other side of that. Think about it when you read that psalm again. What David is saying is that unless his Messiah comes first, he's going to die. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid. And that's still true. Unless the Lord Jesus comes again, we will all die of something. It may be the COVID-19, or it may be something else, but we will all die of something. And when we do, God will not leave us. God will not leave us. In our congregation in Pittsburgh, uh, we had a, a young man who, who was noted as, they told me, the other doctors told me, the, the number one expert in a particular kind of cancer that is, I'm not going to name, but it's, it's a very nasty form of cancer. And he was the son of a preacher. And so one day I, I said to him, Jim, what possessed you to go into that particular branch of cancer? I've had patients die with that. It's a vile form of cancer. Yes. He said, when I was a young resident and I was doing my run and I was in this large hospital and there were several patients with that kind of cancer. And I had a four-month time in that hospital. And I observed the number of people with that cancer who died alone. 
because their family couldn't suffer seeing them suffer any longer. And I felt God was saying to me, you must never let one of those patients die. He said, I will not allow one to die with nobody there. Well, we're reading, aren't we? We're reading about people in our time, not with that particular cancer, but with COVID-19, who, who are dying alone because people who are close family are not able to get to them in the hospital. But the fact is that David is telling us, we will not die alone. For when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God will always be there to console us. That's security. That's security. That's real security. You see, you, you can put your trust in a lot of things, or think you can. You can put your trust in your house. You can put it in your job. You can put it in your business. You can put it in your bank. You can put it in your investment broker. You can put it in your friends. But when the house burns down, or the job lays you off, or the business goes under, the bank goes bust, or, or the broker, have you ever thought of why they call them broker? Uh, but have you been following this yo-yo market? This up, down, up, down. You see, there's, there's no security in any, but never will I leave you is steady. Paul puts it this way when he writes to the Romans in the golden chapter, Romans chapter 8. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when you get that, you've got the ultimate. When you get that, you've got it all. I got one more word and I need to cover it because it's not only about the source, he. It's not only about the security. He has said, I will never leave you, nor for It's about substance. There's the. Th I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but I notice it every time I come to talk. You all talk funny. Every last one of you has an accent, or should I say an accent? Well, the truth is that we all sound funny somebody. And, and I'm using that, of course, as a reverse humor because so often, uh, when you have an accent like mine, people will say, uh, where is home? I'm so delighted to be at Thompson this morning. I'll tell you why. Because over the last two weekends, ministry has kept Barbara and me in the car for a grand total of about 20 hours together. Going there, coming back, going there, coming back. It, it, it was 10 hours in the car one week and 12 hours a week before. Do you know, there was not a boring minute, not, not even a minute, but it's so nice, so nice to get in the car and in 30 minutes be right here. What do we talk about? Well, interestingly enough, on each of those two trips, our conversation somehow drifted into acknowledging that we have lived a life we could have never dreamed. Now, we've been taken to places and done and had experiences and met people that we as youngsters growing up in Belfast could have never dreamed we would have. God has allowed it all to happen. He has directed it to happen in so many instances. But, but where is home? That's the question people ask when you've got an accent. Let me tell you where home is not. Home is not at the house. Home is not at the house. 1978, I graduated from seminary. To get through college and seminary after I sensed a call to the ministry, we had to sell the first home. We were able to buy a little tiny home down in Moss Point, Mississippi. And from the money that came from the proceeds of that home, we were able to pay 
for some of my education. And so in 1978, when we graduated, we were so excited. We moved to Pascagoula, Mississippi, and we bought this house, which we thought might very well be given our past and given where we were in that moment in our thinking, that might be where we would spend the rest of our lives. But let me tell you, September 1979, Hurricane Frederick came through Pascagoula. And we had been evacuated. And when we drove down the street, we realized that our house was in very serious condition because a huge tree had fallen through the roof. And when we walked inside the house, we discovered that the rain in the storm had run all along the rafters and there wasn't a ceiling still up anywhere. And there wasn't a touch of furniture that hadn't been destroyed. And there, there wasn't a carpet. We'd rolled up carpets and put them up high, figuring if there's a flood, we won't lose the carpets. We'd stacked up some furniture. But that's not the way the storm hit our house. It hit us from the top down. It got everything. It literally got everything. And the things we'd held so precious in that house that we thought was going to be our home, possibly forever in this life, was no longer the house it was the day before. It was a devastating time. It took months to rebuild and recover and, and regroup and be able to try to get back as much of your stuff as you could and recognize that some of it just no good for anything else but throwing away things that you treasured like some family picture. Where was God? I'll tell you where God wasn't. It's taken to recognize. God was in that preparing us for future. He was not only teaching us that home is not at the but he was preparing us for when we would go to Berkeley, California, the first Presbyterian church in Berkeley, where on a Sunday morning, while people were in Sunday school and church, the Berkeley Hills fire came through in 1991. You can read about it, 1993, I beg your pardon. And that fire on one Sunday took out 3,600 home in Berkeley, California. Some people in that congregation had left million-dollar-plus homes in the Berkeley Hills, a beautiful, beautiful section that looks down over the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge and the Bay, the kind of housing that some people would give almost. But when they went home that day, they couldn't get up their street because they were stopped by security forces. And those million-dollar homes were burned and lands on the ground as they worshiped. Those homes were turned to tender wood, and they owned nothing except the clothes on their back and maybe the one family car that they had driven in together to come. And they were, for all intents and purposes, homeless. homeless. And they learned, as we did in 79, that a house or a car can be a very tented, some trust in horses, some in great children. We will remember them of the Lord our God. Let me tell you what we decided over the last, oh, we already knew it, but we just verbalized it different. Where's home for the homes? Home is wherever the other one. Home is where the other one is. But ultimately, home is with God. You see, forgive me for being so personal, but, but this, this love affair that started 57 years ago, despite our human fragility and, and fickleness, has substance. And we have learned through the years that, that it has gone through some severe trials and losses, but it's a waiting. It's not abstract, and it's, it's not fleeting. And we can hold on to it even when friends forsake us, which they have. Uh, we can hold on to it even when people we have helped betray us, which they have. We can hold on to it 
even when the job goes away, until death us do part. That vow that we made as really just teenagers getting married has held firm by the grace of God. Home is where the other one is. But one day, even that vow will come true in all likelihood. Death will us part. And as we enter these later years of our lives, don't feel old, but know that the numbers are there. The fact of the matter is that one day there's a great likelihood that one of us is going to go and be. One will go to be with Jesus, still be with the other one. Because his never I leave, never will I still be that day. It will still be true. Back in 2006, I had open heart surgery and I lost my voice for five weeks. I think Barbara thought she'd died and gone to heaven. But a good doctor friend sent me a little book. And the little book was entitled The Thoughts of Sir William Osler. If you're in medicine, you've probably heard of Dr. Osler. You may have read some of his books. He was a Canadian. And he sometimes called the father of of modern medicine, and he helped found Johns Hopkins Hospital. That's not the biggest he did. He discovered the reality of blood pl platelets in his lab, but that's not the biggest thing he did. If you were to ask Dr. Osler, what was the biggest thing you ever did? He would tell you, and I was reminded of this this morning by a story one of He was the first medical school professor to insist that his students would accompany him as he made his morning run at the hospital. And he said, the reason I did that, I wanted those students to know that medical books are okay. They're good, and they ought to read them. But where you really learn medicine is by going to the bedside and listening to the patient. I would tell them, listen to the patient, and that will be better than anything else you'll get in medical. But in that little book, in that little book, I remember the one sentence that really stuck with me, because this is what that brilliant physician said. He said, each night as I lay aside my clothes, I undress my soul too, and I, I lay aside my sin, and there in the presence of God I lie down to rest, knowing that if I awaken for tomorrow, I will awaken a free man with a whole new life. Is there something in your life that holds you back, a load of life? Perhaps it's tearing up. Please do not let them choke the soul. Never will I leave you as here. You can have a new life. Just as he says, I, I awaken with a whole new morrow. He, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And you can undress your soul right here, right now. And, and, and you can lay aside your burden, presence, and walk out of here with a, whole, a free man or a woman. Above all COVID, above all fraud. He above all. Michael W. I close with wrote a wonderful song. Above all powers, above all kings, above all nature, and all created things, above all wisdom, and all the ways of you were here before the world. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders this world has ever known, above all wealth and treasures of this earth, there's no way to your worth. Crucified, laid behind a stone, you lived to die, rejected and alone, like a rose, trampled on the ground. You took the fall and thought of above all on the ground. He the fall and thought of you above all. Never will I, never will I forget. Therefore we made the Lord. and I will, Father, take these words from lips of take them and use them to bring constant peace to all of us that we might walk with our hand and your hand from this new people with a new life. Nothing is done because we in Jesus' name. Now let us go back into the world as new people, ambassadors for the Lord Jesus representing him well wherever we may be and saying a word in his favor at every opportunity. 
And as you go, may the road rise up to meet you, and the wind be always at your back, and the rain fall soft on your fields, and the sunshine warm on your face. And until we're all together again, may God hold us always in the hollow of His hand. May the grace and the mercy and the peace of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit be our strength and abiding portion until we stand in the very presence of Him who loved us all the way to Calvary. And He loves us.